0: King Saul is feeling threatened and jealous of David, so much so he wants to kill him. Hear all about it today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Well, I think most of us can look back on our lives and see the protective hand of God. Perhaps it was on the roadway, or at work, or maybe on the operating table. Whether we see it or not, God protects His children and restrains evil. We'll see a good example of that today on Abounding Grace as we open 1 Samuel 19. If you recall, Saul is envious of David and wants to kill him. But the Lord restrains Saul from harming David. Just as he protected David, he can protect you, too. Here's Pastor
1: Ed Taylor. Verse 8. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pen David to the wall with the spear. But he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. David being used greatly and mightily of God, keeping his eyes focused no matter all the weirdness that's happening around him. He is a single-minded man at this point, faithfully doing what God has called him to do. And Saul again is upset. And we've learned in previous studies that this distressing spirit, the demonic realm, under the authority of God. You know, when when King Saul turns his back, when he turns his back from God and turns his back upon God, and he starts to go in the opposite direction, he's going into the realm of the devil. And so he's distressed; he is under attack, and that's when he picks up the spear once again. And David once again flees and escapes. This time he gets far away. Now Saul, verse 11, sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. Didn't he just say he wasn't going to kill him? Yes. And now he's ready to do it again. Why? Because that was the depth of his heart. I'm sure you've heard the phrase before, but words are cheap. Words are cheap. Actions speak louder than words. Words. And we can see that, David, that King Saul, to his son, to appease him, oh, everything's fine. But truly, his heart is unchanged, unfortunately. And here he sends messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, "If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed." So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Mishael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. <laughs> and when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat hair for his head. Then Saul said to Mishal, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that is he so has escaped? And Mishal answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? David's getting more and more attention. Remember back in chapter, seven, or in chapter 18, verse 7, the ladies were already singing about him with his great exploits at war, comparing him to King Saul. And King Saul, so far from God that he was open to the work and the influence of the demonic realm. They were at home in his life. And then he picks up the spear again. And then he goes after at his house where his daughter is, wanting to take David out. Hold your places here. Would you turn over to Psalm 59 with me? Psalm 59 is a great place to turn as we get a little bit of background on what's going on in this time in David's life. Psalm 59. You'll notice in the title it says, To the chief musician set to do not destroy a mitchem of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. Where is that? First Samuel chapter 19. So this psalm is on his heart during this time. This is what was going on in David's heart. Verse 1. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves, though no fault of mine awake to help me and behold you therefore O god lord of lord god of hosts the god of israel awake to punish all the nations to not be merciful to any wicked transgressors and then that word selah remember in a psalm is a pause it's a musical instruction it's also can be interpreted as a pause where where you you know how you take just a deep breath to think about something this is a heavy psalm to write as David is, again, not taking things into his own hands, but fleeing for his life, he goes home to a place that should be safe. In verse 6, at evening they return, they growl like a dog. Go all around the city. Indeed, they belch out with their mouth. Swords are on in their lips, for they say, Who hears? They think they're getting away with it. But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. Verse 9, O you, his strength, I will wait for you. What a great place to be, for God is my defense. My merciful God shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them, verse 11, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride, for their cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be, and let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. (sighs) Another deep breath. At evening they return, they growl like a dog, they go all around the city, they wander up and down for food, and how if they are not satisfied? Verse 16, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. You have been my defense. And refuge in the day of my trouble, to you all my strength. I sing praises for God is my defense, the God of my mercy. There's a little insight of what's going on in David's heart, and you can see he's crying out for, he's crying out for God's righteous judgment. He's back and forth. He goes, take him away, no, don't take him away. God, you're my defense, defend me. No, you are my defense. It's beautiful. Verse 18 now. So David again fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. I wonder how that conversation went. He went and told Samuel everything that Samuel warned the nation about when they chose the king the first time. How hard that must have been for Samuel to hear. Why? Because... Because of the people's choices, the people are suffering. They wanted a king. They got their king. And their king is corrupt. Their king so quickly turned his back upon the Lord. And not only is David paying the price, but so are others. This is how Saul ran his kingdom. Now I was told, verse 19, Saul saying, Take note, David is at Naoeth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers. And they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. This is pretty funny. This is a funny thing that's being described in the scriptures. As Saul is sending people to go take uh, David, when they come upon the prophesying, they get caught up in the prophesying. And don't see this as they become spiritual men all of a sudden. They just get caught up in the action, and they couldn't follow through. So word gets back to Saul. He sends another group. Samuel's there in the spirit. There's really a great picture here. And that's simply this. You are untouchable in the Lord. You are untouchable. How many times are you going to send people after you, send people after you, send people after you? In the spirit, you're untouchable. In the flesh, you're on your own. (laughs) And you have less than a 50-50 chance of surviving anything that gets thrown your way. Most likely in the flesh, you're going to respond in the flesh and it's going to make things worse and the devil's going to win. But here they are, They get caught up in, well, David runs to Samuel. Picture Samuel, this prophet of God. He's in that protective place, running to the right place at the right time. He's not running back into the world, although we will see that. Well, we'll see some some really sad things in David's life. But at least now he runs to Samuel, that representative of God. He runs to the right place. He's in the right place. And that puts a place of protection of God upon him. God is protecting him. It's not his decisions. His decisions are putting him in the right place. The protection comes from God. God has his hand upon him. And so, it says in verse 22, he also went to Ramah, came to the great well that's at Seku. So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they're at Naoth and Ramah. And so he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him. And also he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Very interesting. A very interesting situation as Saul at this season of his life is humiliated by the protection of God. Not only were they able to talk, but they went together, you know, Saul, Samuel, and David, not only were they able to be encouraged and uplifted, but they were able to go to the next town. And what a time of encouragement. David needed this, as we saw in Psalm 59. It reminds me of the beautiful comfort that comes to God's people by friends, God's spokesmen. Uh, Turn over to Proverbs chapter 25. Let's look at a few Proverbs together. How important your words are, church. How important your voice is in the plan and the direction of God. I mean, of course, with your mouth you can make big mistakes. But man, with your mouth you can really encourage someone. You can really speak a word in due season. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11. And how I pray that you and I would use our mouths in a way that would build up and not tear down. That we would edify In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, it says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. A word fitly spoken. Look at chapter 15 now, verse 23. A word fitly spoken. chapter 15, Proverbs 15, verse 23. It says, Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors... I'm reading verse 22 because I just want to throw that one in. It wasn't a mistake. It was just throwing it in. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counsel that are established, verse 23, a man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good is it? It is. Have you ever had a word spoken to you in due season? You know, there's so much technology now that words can be spoken in due season all over the place. You, if you got a smartphone, you could set up your smartphone just to remind you with a good word in the morning. You can say, "Siri, wake me up with a good word." No, you know, whatever she wants to say. It's like, man. <laughs> You could set up reminders, you can send texts now, you can, I mean, there's so many things that even if God hasn't sent somebody in your life, you could speak a good word to yourself, you can encourage yourself in the Lord. How important it is, but how great it is when God sends a friend your way, sends a note in the mail, sends an email perhaps, or a knock on the door, or a phone call, somebody walks over to your cubicle from the other side of the building, just God moving upon their hearts, moving upon your heart to speak a word in due season. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 26. Proverbs 24, verse 26. Within our fellowship family, so vital to speak a word in due season. I mean, you you can bring so much joy and happiness to someone by simply giving them what God has given you. Look at chapter 24, verse 26. He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. Now, you know, a kiss is an intimate thing. It is something of intimacy and closeness. This isn't speaking of a romantic kiss, but rather the kind of kiss of fellowship. The sweetness of intimacy by your words. It's not literally having you go up and, hey, I've got a good word for you. You know, you're just known as the, the weird person that kisses all the time. Not, not, not like that at all. It's not even culturally acceptable in, in our culture right now. You know, we do the handshake and the hugs and those types of things. But this, you've got to remember the culture, even in the Middle Eastern culture, uh, that still to this very day, a kiss on the cheek is very, very close and intimate. But have you ever thought of your words Have you ever thought of your words being that close and intimate to bless someone else? it's just beautiful. It's so much better than, you know, talking smack. And it's so much better than sarcasm. And it's so much better than talking about things that have no eternal value. It's so much better than just kind of, you know, talking about things where, while they may not be sinful and no no big deal, I'm asking you, I'm asking you to come back to a sensitivity to use your mouth in a way that when you answer, you have the right answer. It's that reminder of the intimacy that we have in the body of Christ. Now, back in 1 Samuel, we can't move on from this section without talking just a little bit about this gift of prophecy that the Bible teaches is within the body of Christ today. Remember Romans chapter 12? In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let's use them. If prophecy, then let's prophesy in proportion to our faith. There are some among us today, you have your primary gifting, the the thing that moves you is that prophetic gifting, And what I mean by the prophetic gifting is not what some would say today where you're always thus saying the Lord, thus saying the Lord, thus saying the Lord, and you're trying to prophesy or predict the future. That that is not the New Testament gifting of prophecy. Many people you will think of prophecy and think, well, it must be thus saith the Lord. And it always has to be thus, old King James language, thus saith the Lord. It could be, you know, it could be anything, but that's how the folks have been taught and discipled. Thus saith the Lord. And indeed, God has said much. In the Old Testament, the gift of prophecy was often in the realm of foretelling, for sure. Telling the future. God had a purpose in giving forth the future through a man's voice. The scripture is yet to be written. But the Bible says that we have been given the faith. We, we've been given the faith. It's once for all delivered. The, the Bible, as its revelation of God, is closed. God is not giving new revelation. He's not adding pages to the scripture. We have the word of God handed to us and delivered to us over the century. So then what is this prophetic gift? Well, first of all, we don't have time to get into the depth of this, so I would encourage you to go. You can use the app or go to the website, calvaryaurora.org, and I taught through those primary giftings in Romans chapter 12. We spent one week per gift, and then a few weeks before that to explain spiritual gifts and the spiritual realm so you know you don't serve in the church like you serve in the world. You don't serve just with good training or going to class. Like God has dumped a spiritual gift or two or three into you. And if the prophetic gifting is yours, we need you because it uses your mouth. We need you to speak forth the words that God has given you from his word. So it's not just foretelling. The New Testament use of this gift is more forthtelling, Speaking forth the word of God. And the definition of what true, the true prophetic gift is. You know, and it's, it's not just when we gather for afterglows. Although when we do gather together for believers meeting and afterglows, we're always desperately praying for those that have the gift of prophecy to speak forth the word. Of course, we want to know. We want to receive. We, we want to understand. And not only that, this is what happens when you prophesy. Jot it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 Verse 2 says, He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. You get three things from that gift. Or one of three things. Or two of three things. Or all three of three things. You get number one, you have edification. That's what? To build one another up. We've already looked at that part of prophecy. Speaking forth God's word. Or exhortation. Exhortation is movement. Movement is movement. You, you can compare exhortation, or you could contrast, I should say, exhortation with encouragement, those two things. Somebody with the gift of encouragement, which we all want people around us to have the gift of encouragement, don't you? I mean, how, who, how would you not want to hear just somebody coming along and building you up, and yes, that's awesome, and yes, let's go do the encouragement. Encouragement takes a person and lifts them up. And who doesn't want to be lifted up? I mean, I know you might have times, I I totally understand and completely relate with those dark and dreary days where you just don't want to answer the phone you don't want to talk to anybody. Uh, You got to be careful in those. You could be very self-absorbed and you you want, you know, even if you're not praying, somebody's praying that an encourager will come your way just to lift you up because you don't want to stay there. It's a very difficult place, very dark times. Uh, I do know it happens and I do know that even David went through this as we'll see. But you want an encourager. You want somebody to lift you up. Who doesn't want somebody to lift you up? Of course. Now, an exhorter, not everybody likes exhorters. (laughs) Because exhorters don't lift you up. They push you on. You know, they, they move you forward. And when you get pushed around, let me tell you something. I don't know you all that well, but I can tell you this. You don't like it. You don't like to be pushed. You don't like to be pushed physically. I mean, think about it. You're there. You're in line at Safeway. There's only two people in line, but the person behind you, they're pushing their cart so close to you, they get the back of your ankles. Do you like that? <laughs> Just think of exhortation. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Just like, hold on, there's only two of us. There's nobody here. Relax. No, no, we got to get going, got to get going, got to get going. Or, or, or somebody that gets, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll be speaking to people and, and they'll get in your space. I don't know what your space is, but I meet a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people, and some people are like like this. And, and you kind of, you know, you're being very gentle and very kind. You kind of turn over, and then they're like, think exhortation next time that happens to you because they're getting a little too close for you. You've got that little artificial place that this is my space, and this is, yeah, yeah. And you have the same thing in, in your life spiritually. You like to stand in line at your own pace, You know, I I was not too long ago. I was—I don't know what day it was. It was sometime this week. But I was in my lane at the red light, and then right there at Smoky Hill and Reservoir, right there by the church. And um, and then there was the turn lane, and I saw the light turn green, and I wanted to tell that person to take off, but I didn't. Uh, The guy next to me, uh, 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 and I don't know what was going on in that gal, but she missed the light, and, and I was curious. Because I thought, she's texting. No doubt about it. She's texting Mr. Uh, non-judgmental pastor guy that I am. <laughs> and so I peek. I, as you know, that person, she didn't make the light. The guy behind her didn't make the light. And, and as I'm driving by, I'm peeking through the window. What was she doing? Texting. <laughs> and the Lord is saying, it's okay, Ed. I got you covered, man. So you think, you know, maybe you miss a light sometimes. Maybe it's not texting. Maybe you're just so caught up with the kids or you just miss it. You're kind of daydreaming. It happens to us all. And somebody's behind you. Uh, uh, uh. You know what you should think? Exhortation. (laughs) They're not rolling down their window saying, Can you please move forward with a green light? We all have somewhere to go. You'll be happy. I'll be happy. That's encouragement. You never see it like that. (laughs) it doesn't happen like that but exhortation it's moving 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 and in in our spiritual lives we stand in line at a casual pace and we need to be moved on sometimes in our spiritual lives we daydream or we're caught off guard texting we're we're doing something we really shouldn't be doing at all and god will send what someone with the gift of exhortation moving us on how is that well it's the gift of prophecy often The person that's given the gift, the person with the gift of prophecy is going to move you on. And God will send that person. Thirdly, those with the gift of prophecy can also bring comfort. It comes different ways. It's speaking forth. God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to take God's word and use it appropriately in our lives. Just at the right time.
0: Today on Abounding Grace, we've been in 1 Samuel with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, request a CD copy for $2. Call us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. I'll repeat that in a second. You'll also find Pastor Ed's teachings at calvaryaurora.org. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to. And if today's study was a blessing to your life, we'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at calvaryaurora.org. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Chuck Smith's book, Love the Most Excellent Way. Thanks for remembering Abounding Grace is made possible by the gifts of listeners just like yourself. When you give, you're not only helping us bring these studies to your station and others like it, but also helping thousands to grow in grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit CalvaryAurora.org. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of 1 Samuel. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.